Hello and welcome to the first ever Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Manny Manuel. And I'm Sam Reimer. Ah, <laughs> I can't believe we're actually doing this. This is really fucking exciting. It's been a, been a long time coming. It it's sure been, has. It's been a it long sure, road. It sure has. So in our first episode here, uh, Sam and I are going to go over, uh, we're going to start just kind of introducing ourselves. We're going to talk a little bit about our love for movies. Uh, and then we're going to get into our top 10 of 2017. Uh, Sam and I decided to go in blind, not knowing the others' list, so there could be some surprises. So much suspense. I know. I'm <laughs> actually really looking forward to it. I love hearing other people's uh, lists and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but first off, we're going to get into, um, we're going to let our audience know a little bit more about us, uh, what we like about movies, um, what movies impacted our lives. So uh, why don't we start with you, Sam? Yeah. What, uh, what, what is it that you like about movies? Um, yeah, let's see what I wrote here in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, honestly, what I liked about movies, at least why, why I got into them, um, was really just the ability to put yourself into perspective that you might not be able to experience. The number one example that I was able to think of was, uh, I mean, The Godfather. Neither of us are going to experience what it's like to run a mob family, yet uh, we both get to see through the eyes of uh, Vito Corleone. Um, just being able to explore different worlds and uh, that type of thing really attracted me to movies in the first place. Um, what about you? What, what, what got you into movies? Uh, well, the thing I like about movies is, for me, it's an escape. Uh, I love... I get really invested into them. I invest in the characters. I invest in the story. Uh, they've always just really captured my imagination. Um, my love for movies started young. Um, I always loved going to the theater. It, it, it just brought me such joy. Um, growing up, and here I'm about to blather on, <laughs> and I'll just transition into kind of like what movies kind of really shaped my life. Mm -hmm. um, growing up, I was, as a young man in the 80s, a young man, I was a little boy, <laughs> um, I was obviously into Schwarzenegger and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I remember distinctly, uh, it was in 1986, um, my best friend at the time's dad took us to see a movie called Platoon. <laughs> and even though I was too young at the time to understand the themes and the messages that movie was saying, it was different from any other type of movie I'd seen before. And I remember leaving, liking it, um, but also being a little confused or inquisitive as to what I had just seen. I knew it was different. Um, and just kind of steamrolled from there. Um, the next one, and this is, in my opinion, the one that completely changed my life, um, was Last of the Mohicans. I went with some friends on a night. I didn't know anything about the movie. But it was the first time that a movie completely enraptured me. I was completely enthralled by what I saw on screen. The visuals, it just looked gorgeous. And prior to that, I'd never noticed scenery before. Um, I don't know who the cinematographer was. Um, and I know now that the director is Michael Mann, who's done the numerous movies that I love. Um, it was also the first time I ever really noticed um, good acting. Now, the acting in this movie isn't superb, but it does have our finest living actor today, Daniel Day-Lewis. Sir Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I noticed that 
even though this, uh, I thought this movie was just going to be an action adventure, and it is, uh, but there's more to it. And I could feel um, the level of intensity and the level of craft that uh, Mr. Day-Lewis brought to the role, um, and I was completely transfixed by what I saw. Um, and then this is also the first time um, that a movie's score really captured my attention. Um, I love that score. Um, it's just gorgeous. Um, of course, growing up, <clears throat> the, uh, the other two scores that really meant a lot to me were obviously Star Wars and Indiana Jones by the great John Williams. Um, but this score from Last Mohicans, it really affected me. It gave me a, a really deep emotional response. Uh, and leaving that theater, uh, my life had changed. And it was one of the first movies that I actively went back to numerous times. I ended up seeing it about five or six times in the theater. Um, and that sent me on the course to start looking into other types of movies as well. And then it was two years later that everything really changed. Um, I was still not quite educated on film, but I liked movies. And my favorite movie star at the time was Bruce Willis. So I went to go see his newest film, this little ditty called Pulp Fiction. Never heard of it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Pulp Fiction changed my life, and this is what led me down to the path of where I am today. It was the first time a movie had ever enthralled me with nothing but dialogue. Uh, the dialogue being spoken, the performances by everyone in the film is jaw-dropping, um, and I was just completely memorized. I was on the edge of my seat all because of dialogue. Nothing much really happens in the movie, um, but everything is driven by dialogue, and the pulp culture references and everything just had me enthralled. And from that moment on, I started doing more research into film, uh, started paying more attention, started um, subscribing to magazines. If you kids know what magazines are, uh, there used to be uh, print copy out there of things you couldn't look up on the internet. For all the kids listening, print is like a <laughs> tablet that's actually in paper form. And it was from there um, that my life changed. Pulp Fiction, Last Mohicans, and to some extent, Platoon are the ones that changed my life. Uh, and that just leads me where I am today. There's lots of other cinematic experiences that really help shape me who I am, but those are the big ones for me. Oof, it's quite the summary. I know, I'm going to blather on. Uh, <laughs> get used to it. Yeah. All right, for me, um, the movies, and of course, you're, you're dating yourself slightly with uh, these old movies that you used to watch when you were a kid uh, or a young man. Um, for me, the, the first movies that, in retrospect, were important, maybe didn't realize the importance at the time, but in retrospect, watching Pixar movies as a kid was just incredibly important for understanding stories, understanding characters, realizing that stories could be something that could teach you something. Um, Toy Story was a little bit before my time, uh, but movies... Not mine. <laughs> I remember distinctly seeing it in the theater. Yes. Toy Story, unfortunately, was before my time, but movies like Finding Nemo, Monsters Incorporated, The Incredibles, those movies were, were movies that I enjoyed on a different level than I had ever enjoyed any movies before, and I couldn't really understand why at that time, but in retrospect, it's just because of... Of course, the beautiful animation, the brilliant storytelling that, that Pixar Studios has. Um, I didn't really get my love for movies kicked up another notch until around 2009. Um, and the, the first movie that came to mind as one that 
made me realize there was a there there that made me realize there's more to this world of movies was Avatar, as oh. as cheesy as it is to say. And I know Avatar is arguably the worst movie to ever be nominated for Best Picture, but it's the first movie that made me realize there's something on the screen that I'm looking at, and it can be objectively good or it can be objectively bad. Interesting. It's Interesting. just the the different visuals that I had never seen before, the 3D and how it was used at the time, what I thought was creative storytelling, but what I realize now in retrospect is recycled tropes that are, <laughs> that maybe even have some racial undertones. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at the time it, it made me realize, okay, the, the theater can be a, a pretty surreal experience. And I did end up going back to the theater for that movie multiple times. I think, I think three or four, um, Around that time, I definitely caught a few more movies that uh, just made my love for movies grow. Um, Up was another one, going back to Pixar around that time that was released, that made me realize what emotion could be uh, behind movies and the weight that could be carried behind them. Um, I'm not going to admit on microphone that I cried during Up. I would never <laughs> would never admit such a thing, but I did. Um, so did I. <laughs> and I admit to crying to a lot of movies. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Up wasn't the first movie that made me cry. That that award goes to Radio, which I watched back. Radio. It, oh, with Cuba Gooding. With Cuba Gooding. I was oh. young. Give me a break. I was, oh. <laughs> I was young. Um, yeah, but around around that time frame in two thousand nine, uh, one movie that still stands to this day as one of my favorites that I saw then was you were talking about Tarantino being one of your favorites of Pulp Fiction. Uh, for me, it was Inglorious Bastards. Oh, nice. uh, Inglorious Bastards is a still an awesome movie. I rewatched it like two weeks ago. It's still incredible. I'm still on the edge of my seat every time I watch it. Every word that comes out of these characters' mouths is art. Oh, I agree. 100%. And it, it's it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie if you haven't seen it. And uh, the last one that I think really kicked me into... I mentioned that movies like Up and Pixar made me realize the emotional weight the movies could carry. Uh, the movie that hit me like a ton of bricks, just uh, hit me at the right time in my life, saw it at the right time, was Good Will Hunting. Oh, well played. I had never seen, never seen Good Will Hunting. I'd probably seen it maybe for the first time when I was 18 or 19. Um, so, you know, three, four years ago. Uh, and it just, it knocked me on my ass for some reason. I couldn't understand why. And it was just what all the things it had to say about love and about uh, platonic relationships just hadn't really been communicated to me like that and it was the first time i remember coming away from a movie being like i learned something and i learned something about how how human interaction works and at at their best that's what movies does that's what movies do rather is teach us oh i agree and that's actually a perfect transition into for in your opinion what makes a good movie like what when you're going to see a film or or what are you looking for when you go to see a movie well, I think, yeah, it was exactly that. It's uh, at their best, movies teach us something about human, uh, the human condition, about communication, about interactions with people. Of course, not every movie can do that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with sitting back in your chair and watching a bunch of things blow up on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not trying to imply that I'm above that at all. 
But at their best, I think movies should sway us. They should uh, either change our minds or uh, maybe make us think something that we haven't thought before. Oh, I love that. I, mm-hmm. I agree totally. Movies that make me think um, are the ones I love. Again, I agree 100%. There's nothing wrong with watching stuff blow up on screen. <laughs> there are, you're, you know, we all want to watch movies where you just turn your brain off and you're just enjoying eye candy. Mm-hmm. But for me, a good movie is I want to see, uh, see brilliant direction. I want to see jaw-dropping performances. I want to see sharp, biting dialogue. Mm-hmm. Great cinematography, if, if possible. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, um, it's amazing. And like I said, that's one of the reasons that Les Mohicans drew me in so much was the cinematography. Um, that's what I'm looking for, a, a movie that's really going to make me invest in the film itself. Um, it's usually not a problem, but uh, it does require a little bit of work on the filmmaker to draw me into that. Um, so that's kind of gives everyone an idea on what kind of, what brought us to where we are, what, uh, what movies we shaped us to bring us where we are, as well as what we're looking for in film. So let's move on to, uh, the big, uh, the big list we got going here. We're now going to list off our top 10 movies of 2017. We're going to go in uh, descending order. Yeah, yes. from, t- from 10 to 1. Yeah, 10 to 1. I was like, descend? Oh, descend? Yeah, descend. correct word. Word of the day. <laughs> um, like I mentioned earlier, we did not reveal our lists to one another. so we're gonna We take... have discussed them to some degree, but oh, the, oh. the vast majority of this, I think we know each other's 10s. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's about it. As a, as a trial run, I think we revealed our 10s. So what we're going to do is we're going to take turns going, uh, revealing our number 10 and then our number 9 going back. But what we're going to do is if we have any that are shared, pardon me, <clears throat> if we have any that are shared on the list, um, instead of discussing it at the lower number, we're going to discuss it at the higher number. Correct. So if I... If I list my number 10 and it ends up being Sam's number 4, he's not going to reveal what number it is. He's just going to say that is on my list. So then we will wait to discuss it until we get it on its highest list. Should also maybe be noted that we haven't necessarily seen all of each other's movies. There's still a big list that I'm looking at that I haven't even seen. Cool. Why don't you rattle some of the ones off that you haven't seen that that may have made this list if you'd seen them in time. Okay. So one of the big ones that I've already crossed off this list that already didn't make my list was I, Tanya. So I've made made my list and watched it since. But all the rest of these are still on there. So Blade Runner 2049 have not seen yet. And Manny is giving me a very dirty look right now. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049, uh, Florida Project, Big Sick, Phantom Thread. Oh, the post I have seen. Uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, Good Time, Coco, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Killing of the Sacred Deer, Molly's Game, and Detroit. Those I just uh, gathered by looking up best, uh, best movies of the year 2017 and writing down any ones that I had not seen. Uh, for me as well, some of the movies I didn't get to catch in, in time for this list uh, were Coco, um, Call Me By Your Name, uh, what were the other two? I, Tonya, and Phantom Thread. Um, some of the other ones uh, that Sam listed are ones I want to see, but in, they probably wouldn't even made this list anyway. Yeah, I'm not implying that any of those would have. <laughs> I'm just saying those are big ones that I haven't seen. But... Well, since I'm the older statesman of the two, I'm going to start off. Barely. Barely. I think I'm, I think I'm, actually, I think at our current ages, I think I'm exactly twice as old as you. You're 42? I am. Oh, well, there you go. Which is All my right. favorite number, by the way. <laughs> so this is the best year of my life. 
Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so, starting at number 10 for Manny's top movies of 2017 is Baby Driver. All right. And like we had said, I'm going to interject and say that I also have that movie on my list, but much higher. So we'll... Oh, okay. Well, then we will wait so we'll... to discuss. So we'll move on to your number 10. All right. I also note about my list that I had <clears throat> uh, split in at number nine because I watched it in January of 2017, but... According to IMDb, it is a 2016 movie, so unfortunately I had to make some edits. Oh, totally understandable. And we are going to be using the years listed or anything else as a tiebreaker on for IMDb as our kind of our manual? Mm. As our guideline? Sure. Yeah. Guideline. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So I guess I'll hop into my list and uh, go with one. The movie I've actually watched most recently. I watched this about two nights ago. Yep. Uh, number 10 is The Post. Ooh, nice. Yeah. That is... <laughs> Not on my list. Not on your list. So we can discuss it for sure. You have seen it, though. Oh, totally seen it. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe you should start. Okay, I'll start. <laughs> well, you should start. It's on your It's your number 10. Maybe I should start. <laughs> well, I'll start with the obvious. Okay. You, uh, you have Meryl Streep. You have Tom Hanks. You have Steven Spielberg. It kind of goes without saying that all three parties are going to do their jobs perfectly. Um, I think you and I sort of discussed this uh, off the mic earlier. But uh, Meryl Streep's performance is surprisingly subtle for uh, this type of role. Not that Meryl Streep doesn't have subtlety in her performance, but uh, she, she really doesn't have a big yelling scene where she finally comes into her own and she has a, a big speech or anything like that. She has, she has scenes that she steals, but uh, nothing. there was no yelling sort of look-at-me-I'm-acting scene, I, I, I felt. Yeah. I Totally, totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, it was actually kind of surprising. Uh, some of the trailers had me believe that we were going to be seeing Meryl Streep in a very strong, dominant performance. Totally. And it's the exact it's, opposite. Yeah, it's total opposite end of the spectrum. And I think it just works so well. Um, she played it perfectly. She didn't come across as weak. She just came across as someone that's in not... Timid. I don't know, not, uh, yeah, timid. Timid. And that's fair. We're talking about the early 70s for a woman who, who if I'm not mistaken, was the first woman uh, CEO of a company that large. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But all of her scenes, like, they were just so perfect. Like, the, the first scene when she goes into the boardroom where she's talking about um, trying to get more money or they're, they're going to take the Washington Post public because if people didn't know, uh, it's not... Uh, it, it was just a family paper. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, it's an institution, but at that time, it was just a family paper. It wasn't owned, and they were talking about making it uh, public. And so when they go, she goes in the boardroom, she's completely surrounded by all these men. And it's you can feel the fear or intimidation that she felt in that scene. And she plays it perfectly, and she plays it perfectly throughout. She's not a pushover. She's just hesitant because she's a woman playing in a man's world and at that time that was a big deal and it was hard as it is nowadays from what i can gather yeah being a, I mean, a, a male i don't really have <laughs> we're any... two two white dudes talking yeah. about <laughs> women's rights issues but i i completely agree with everything you said there was a part in particular um, I think it was the boardroom scene where before they walk into the boardroom, uh, she's walking through this crowd of women, and uh, as soon as she opens the doors, it's a bunch of white, old white dudes in suits. And I just thought, I mean, 
uh, Steven Spielberg, of course, will think of everything, but that was a, a very nice touch. And the way her character pro- progressed, um, we were talking about how she was sort of timid and she played it really well. But then when she does uh, start to gain confidence and she makes some decisions that are, I don't want to say questionable, but she makes some decisions that have some real consequence. And you can feel the weight of those uh, consequences looming over the plot of the movie, which really is what makes it exciting, is the decisions that what Meryl Streep decides in this movie basically will make or break this paper and potentially land them all in legal trouble and or jail. <laughs> yes. And even though we may be spoiling some stuff here, this is real life, so catch up on history, please. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> We're spoiling real life. Yeah, spoiler alert, Nixon got impeached. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, the Titanic sank. Yeah, exactly. All right, I think that just about sums it up. Uh, anything you want to add on the post? Well, actually, I'd like to add a couple things, yeah. actually. Um, I, again... We'll probably get into it uh, mm-hmm. in a future thing, but Tom Hanks is absolutely wonderful. Oh, of course. The yeah. fact that he didn't get nominated is kind of a travesty in my mind. Totally. Um, but to be fair, he isn't the best actor in this movie. I think. I mean, he's. It's not the best performance in this movie. I should say. Meryl Streep really does steal this movie. Not that that should eliminate Tom Hanks from the discussion, because he is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, actor. But uh, yeah. Uh, he was completely amazing as well. Totally yeah, I, I love Tom. I really loved um, Bob Odenkirk yes. a lot. Yes, uh, he and was great. We're both big Breaking Bad fans as well. So seeing him a little bit, seeing him uh, as someone other than Better Call Saul was uh, was pretty funny actually. It was nice. Uh, it was just a it was just a well crafted, well done movie from start to finish. Um, I, I really enjoyed the post, and it came very close to making this list. Uh, but not close enough. Yeah, I, I will also just add before we transition out of this, uh, just thematically, I did forget to add that the the way it portrays the political and journalistic climate at the time, how they're they're sort of in bed with each other. They're they allude to the fact a bunch of times that Tom Hanks was good friends with JFK, and how this period in time was sort of transitional in the sense that. They really realized that none of that stuff could fly anymore, that the, the journalists have a, a, a responsibility to keep politicians in check, which, of course, has, I'm sure nothing in this movie had any bearing on our current political climate. <laughs> they were not trying to say anything in particular about uh, the political climate of the states in 2018 at all, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It was... <laughs> I don't, want, I don't want to talk politics. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going there. Um, one thing that we actually should have mentioned there is that is for a lot of people, they might not even know what the post is about. So we, right. I'm, I'm going to give a quick little rundown on, and this is from IMDb because they basically are gods when yes. it comes to this. <laughs> uh, so here's a, a, a plot synopsis for the post. Um, leaked to the New York Times by the American military analyst Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers, the top secret study about the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War and the decades of cover-ups, stir up a nationwide controversy in 1971 as the Nixon administration and the former Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara try to silence the shocking revelations, the Times rival, the Washington Post, and its owner, Kay Graham, wrestle with the amplitude of a devastating decision. Should Graham publish and let the, two sh- and let the truth shine on the nearly 60,000 lost in action Americans? Should she put in jeopardy not only her status, but also her paper? That's right. what the Post is about. Maybe should have put that at the front of the bit, but... <laughs> uh, we'll do it from here on out. Yeah. Um, Trial runs. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah. We're gonna I don't suck. think not even necessarily the IMDB uh, synopsis, but just a brief brief synopsis maybe from mm-hmm. here on out of everything we introduce. Anyway, I think that's uh, that's the post. If you want to hit number nine on yours, all right. Number nine for me is Atomic Blonde. Ooh, uh, one I actually did not see this year, so I'll let uh, let you take the take the reins. Perfect. On this one. Atomic Blonde. Uh, a quick synopsis on that is an undercover MI6 agent is sent to Berlin during the Cold War in the 80s to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of double agents. Um, full disclosure, I'm in love with Charlize Theron. 100% in love, 100% in love. But it had no bearing on your ranking, of course. I you would not let admi- love I... get in the way of objective cold analysis. That's true. <laughs> Total lie. Yeah. Um, I, besides being absolutely stunningly gorgeous, she's also a fantastic actress. Um, Atomic Blonde is just so much fun. Um, it has some of the best fight scenes I've seen in recent memory. Um, the name of the director escapes me, but he was one half of the directing team that did John Wick. So if you like the action scenes in John Wick... And who doesn't? I know, right? Um, then you're going to like Atomic Blonde. It's kind of gritty and real. It's long takes, um, some vicious hard hits. I can't even imagine the rigors that she had to go through to do this. There is a magically, magically long and grueling and absolutely delightful fight scene that just, you can see, if you know where to look, you can see where the cuts are, but it looks like it's in one long take, but it's obviously not because I don't think anybody could do this in one take. Um, The music is fun, um, but pretty much obvious. You know, they're in Berlin in the 80s, so of course, 99 Luftballons has to be played at some point. Um, <laughs> right. It's just a completely fun, engrossing movie. Um, will it win any awards? I don't even think it was up for anything. I don't think so. But it, it, it's worth watching. Um, it's definitely one of those popcorn movies. You just plug it in, you turn your brain off, even though it does have a bit of a convoluted plot. Um, but it's just rip-roaring fun. James McAvoy is chewing up the scenery. Uh, and like I said, Charlize is just phenomenal in this role. So, Sam, on to your number nine. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out because I haven't actually seen too many action movies this year now that I think about it. But that being said, there is an action movie in my number nine spot, and that is Logan. Oh, <laughs> Logan is on my list as well. Ranked a little bit higher than nine. A little bit higher than nine. I thought it might be. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, we'll go ahead and skip Logan then well, for since, now. Since we skipped your nine, why don't you reveal your number eight? Well, my number eight, so Split was supposed to be nine, and then Logan was supposed to be number ten. Split got eliminated from the list, as I mentioned. Post slipped in at number ten. So number eight uh, is one that I know that you haven't seen, uh, and that would be Call Me By Your Name. Ooh. Give us a little synopsis on that one. So a brief synopsis of that. Um, there is a, a boy whose name escapes me at the moment, Elio, uh, who's living in, in France, and essentially a co-worker of his dad's comes to live with them for the summer, um, and uh, a, a romance begins to bud between the two of them. Um, I should also mention this co-worker is male, so this is a gay love story. Um, overall, very, very, very good movie. Um, both the male co-leads just absolutely crush it. It is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, That's... Army Hammer. Yes, Army Hammer, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this guy's name. Is uh, Timothy t- Chalamet. 
Yes, thank you for <laughs> for taking that one. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. All right. And can we just say before I go forward, uh, Army Hammer sounds like he was just cast because he has a gay porn star name, right? Like, <laughs> does that not sound like... If, if you were casting this movie, you're like, I need this guy's gay lover. Who? And then you see Army Hammer's resume on your desk. Does he not immediately get that job without even... <laughs> I can understand that. I can understand that. I love Army Hammer. He's so charming. No, I've, I've loved Army Hammer since... Uh, I've Obviously, I think uh, most people would be familiar with him as uh, both of the Winklevoss twins from The Social Network. That's where I fell in love with them. Yeah, me as well. Such a fantastic performance. But don't get me started on The Social Network. Yeah, exactly. We could could do an entire show on The Social Network, and we probably should, by the way. I (laughs) agree. We'll do that on a later date. Um, Timothy Chalamet is uh, up for best actor, if I I remember correctly. 100%. And rightfully so. He, uh, He pulls a Christoph Waltz in this movie. He He speaks English, Italian, and French. Uh, he plays piano, and uh, it doesn't appear to be a double at all. He looks to be doing the Ryan Gosling and legitimately playing some songs. Oh, well and, I mean, those things are all sort of gimmicks. It's one thing to speak a bunch of different languages, play an instrument. Can the guy act? And the answer is ah, absolutely yes. Nice. This guy is absolutely phenomenal. There, uh, the last 20 minutes in particular, he absolutely steals the show. It's heartbreaking heart-wrenching uh there's the final shot of the movie is just a look that he gives and that look alone will be iconic for this movie i think it's it's gorgeous i'm so excited to see this movie uh a a love story uh always needs to have good chemistry between the leads and when you have two straight dudes playing two gay lovers uh, you, you sort of hope that they can overcome that and uh, have some good chemistry. And you totally believe that these guys are in love. They're, they are completely playful. They're absolutely wonderful chemistry. They play off each other very nicely with their, with their banter. And uh, I really liked it. As I mentioned, the last 20 minutes is fantastic. Um, another name I'm probably going to butcher, Michael Stuhlbarg. Oh, I think you got that right. Did I? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that is shocking. Uh, some of you might know him from A Serious Man. He was he, His agent deserves a raise, by the way, because he was in a lot of Best Picture nominees this year, from what I understand. He was, he was in, in The Post. Post. He was in Call Me By Your Name. He was in The Shape, Shape of Water. Water. That guy's agent deserves a raise. But anyway, uh, his he has a monologue towards the end of this movie. Again, the last act of this movie is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but his monologue in particular is it really just ties the movie together so nicely and uh i'm not sure if he was nominated for uh, best supporting actor for he this got movie. no nominations for any of those roles for anything oscars and- what are you doing i know this guy deserves some recognition because he was he was great um movie's not going to be for everyone um it's pretty slow paced especially in the first act Takes a while to get going. Not that that's necessarily objectively a bad thing. It just it really takes its time uh, delving into these characters. And I know we said uh, there's going to be no spoilers for a lot of these. I gotta spoil one thing. Um, in my notes here, it just says "not for everyone." Dash slow pacing, comma peach fucking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, may or may not fuck a peach in this movie, uh, and it's not like implied. It's like it's. It's a little bit graphic, and uh, so so there are some things in this movie that might turn some people off. Peach fucking. Yeah. yeah Jason, Big, not... Jason Biggs had apple pies, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he should have been trying peaches, I guess, according to Timothy Chalamet. So yeah, right. definitely, it's the slow pacing in particular can turn some people off, but overall I thought it was really, really good and a uh, and, uh, really touching movie. Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to move on to my number eight, and my number eight... 
is the uh, war film Dunkirk. Nice. Not on your list. Not on my list. Surprising. All right. Yeah. So Dunkirk. <laughs> I do love Christopher Nolan, but uh, this was not among his finer works, in my opinion. But I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you delve into it. For me, uh, Dunkirk. Um, basically, it's the story of the city of Dunkirk and how the uh, the British and French forces were trying to get back over to Jolly England as they were being pursued and trapped against the sea um, by the Nazis, our favorite movie villains of all time. Yes. Um, Dunkirk, for me, was it's a little bit higher than I thought on my list. I, I originally had it at, at number 10, but it kind of climbed over uh, my number 10 and my number 9 the more I thought about it because the movie is visually stunning. Sadly, if... Any of you haven't seen Dunkirk, um, I don't think you're going to get the full effect watching it at home. It's a purely visual masterpiece, and the sound design is what makes this movie incredible. The first gunshot literally had me jump out of my seat. It's loud and unexpected and scary and gave me just an inkling of an idea of what these people really went through. And then from there on out... The nice thing about Dunkirk, which kind of goes against one of the things that I enjoy about movies, is there actually isn't really any character development. I can't tell you the name of one character in this entire film. That makes two of us. And that doesn't matter. Um, The biggest character development would be the part on the scene with Mark Rylance and and Killian Murphy on the boat uh, Mm -hmm. as they're trying to get towards Dunkirk. Um, But the rest of the time, it's just about these guys trying to survive. I can't talk enough about the sound design of this film, and that's why it makes me sad that for those that didn't get to see it in the theater are going to watch it at home, where most likely their sound system isn't set up to properly optimize the way that this movie should be experienced. That being said, it's still worth watching. This movie almost is like a silent film. There's not a lot of dialogue, again, except on the scenes on the boat um, with Mark Rylance. Um, who is just so amazing in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, that's no surprise. He he won the Academy Award uh, for Supporting Actor for uh, Bridge of Spies, Correct. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And he, yeah, he's absolutely killed it ever since. I'm not surprised to see him uh, taking on more roles. I mean, this movie isn't nearly as challenging as that to him. Like you said, there's not quite as much character development. And unfortunately, that's, that is where it fell flat for me. I know you said you don't have a problem with it. I couldn't get invested in a lot of the characters. Not that I hated this movie. I, don't, I just don't want to sit here and shit all over this movie. It is really good, and you should go watch it if yeah. you get the opportunity to. But the character development is where it falls flat. And I, and I totally understand that. For me, this was a more of a visual and an audio experience that I'm probably not going to forget. It's, like I said, especially that opening gunshot. I wasn't prepared for it. I, not even a word of a lie, literally jumped out of my seat. Uh, I, I, I love Dunkirk. I am a Christopher Nolan fan. Um, yes, his, me as well. There's just there are some things about his films at times that bother me, but I, I really enjoyed Dunkirk. Another episode is going to have to be uh, Christopher Nolan movie rankings. I'm all over <laughs> it. I'm all over it. Yeah, uh, Memento. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't get into that now. There's no That's time. right. Yeah. 
so we're kind of going back and forth. Um, so we'll get back into it. Uh, I'll start. I'll go with my number seven. Sure. Um, my number seven is Spider-Man Homecoming. Which I have not seen, unfortunately. All I, right. I have no doubt this movie would make my list if I had seen it. But uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so going into Spider-Man Homecoming, here's a, a, a brief synopsis. Uh, thrilled by his experience with the Avengers, Peter returns home back to New York City, uh, where he lives with his Aunt May, under the watchful eye of his mentor, Tony Stark. Peter tries to return to his normally daily routine as a high school kid, but when a new villain emerges called the Vulture, everything that Peter holds dear will be threatened. That's from IMDb. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I am a complete Marvel zombie. I live <laughs> and die by Marvel. I grew up reading their comics. Um, I am in absolute heaven right now with all of their movies. So granted... I go in with a complete 100% bias. But this movie charmed me. I've been waiting for a good Spider-Man movie for a while. That's not to say I didn't enjoy the first trilogy with Tobey Maguire. Well, two-thirds of the first trilogy anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I want to rewatch three, but let's, we won't digress. Yes. Uh, Tom Holland is perfect. As Peter Parker and Spider-Man, people tend to forget that a lot of these roles uh, in superhero films require you to play two parts, the superhero and the secret identity. Some of them are easier, like Captain America, because Steve Rogers is Captain America. But with Spider-Man, Peter Parker is a nerd. He's a complete nerd. He's very unsure about himself. He doesn't know where he belongs in the world. And it's one of the reasons that he, because he feels that way, that he's so popular across the world. Everybody knows what it feels like to be like Peter Parker. But when he's Spider-Man, he's self-deprecating, he's witty, he kicks ass, and that's what everybody wants to be. They want to be that person in real life. And it's, again, why it feeds into why I think Spider-Man is so incredibly popular. And Tom Holland, for the first time, plays both those roles perfectly. It's the first time that they've got Spider-Man and Peter Parker right in the same movie. We saw a glimpse of that in Captain America Civil War, which I've heard say numerous times is the best Spider-Man movie ever made, until <laughs> this one came out. And this one is absolutely unreal. Moving off of Tom Holland, we'll get into Michael Keaton, who is easily the best villain the MCU has had since Loki. Wow. Um, Michael Keaton, oh, I, I almost want to say he steals the show, but Tom Holland is so good that he is still the center of the show, but Michael Keaton is unreal. I'm not going to spoil anything, especially since my cohort here hasn't seen I the movie. I have not, and I do intend to. Good, perfect. I can't wait for us to discuss it when you do. Yep. Um, so I'm not going to get into anything Um Basically, Spider-Man Homecoming is basically if John Hughes wrote a superhero movie. It's set in high school. The kids act like they're in high school. Most importantly, they look like they're in high school. <laughs> um, it's just a fun movie. And it's if you haven't seen it, just go rent it. Go buy it. Go watch it right now. That's Spider-Man Homecoming, my number seven film. Fantastic. All right. Number seven. The Disaster Artist. Oh, uh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I happen to know that this is not on Manny's list. He's been dreading watching this movie because... Uh, I forgot that it's on my list of ones that I should watch. And you should watch it. Ugh. Because it is phenomenal. 
I know uh, Manny here is not a James Franco fan. Not in the least. <laughs> but I think after watching this movie, he may have a change of heart, or at least I hope he does. Probably uh, not. For those who don't know, uh, The Disaster Artist is a movie about a movie. Specifically, it's about The Room. Not to be confused with Room, the Brie Larson movie that was nominated for Best Picture, which is phenomenal. Phenomenal, but let's not digress. Yes. It's about The Room, a movie made in 2003 by a guy named Tommy Wiseau. And this movie, uh, to summarize, is garbage. It is... Uh, often called the worst movie ever made. I tend to agree. You've seen it? I have seen The Room multiple times, actually. Uh, Mul- multiple times. I've seen it, uh, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, and then I watched it again in preparation for, for this movie. Okay. So, The Disaster Artist is about uh, the making of The Room, which, again, is one of the worst movies ever made, if not the worst, and uh, its mysterious creator named Tommy Wiseau. Uh, this guy is really an enigma. Nobody knows where he came from nobody knows how old he is nobody knows how he got money to make a movie but he did and it's terrible and this movie is really just about him and his friend greg uh played by james franco's real life brother uh dave franco so i should mention tommy wiseau played by james franco uh dave franco plays greg sestero uh one of the other male leads in the room um and the movie is really about how this movie just became a fucking disaster i mean it's right there in the name of this movie the the disaster artist uh this movie really devolves tommy wiseau i don't want to say he goes insane because he already kind of is but he really just turns into a into a nightmare director he turns into an asshole he really just uh tries to dominate his uh employees and the whole thing is just an absolute shit show this movie is funny this movie is heartwarming and the reason why I think it made the my best of the year list is because at the core of it, even though there is all this chaos going on, it's a funny movie, there's jokes, there's, there's quotable moments from it. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, he's shifting his eyes and uh, <laughs> sitting very nervously in his chair. Um, the, the core of this movie is the friendship between Dave Franco and James Franco, uh, Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. Their, their friendship is really what drives this movie. Uh, you can feel the effect as it deteriorates when they're on set. It's emotional, it's powerful, and when it does inevitably collapse, again, not spoiling anything here, um, you you can really feel uh, the emotional weight of that. And I think without that at the center of the movie, it's just basically making fun of a shitty movie. And nobody really wants to, to watch a movie about that. Uh, James Franco did win a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy because of this. Um, it absolutely deserved. I don't have the nominees in that category off the top of my head, but the first thing I thought of when I saw this was, holy shit, this guy should be nominated for some stuff. Um, he does do an impression. For those of you who don't know, Tommy Wiseau has a very particular accent, uh, dialect. I don't even know what you would call it, a slur. He, I really don't know how to describe it other than go look up Tommy Wiseau talking <laughs> or scenes from the room. And it's really phenomenal how this guy talks. And James Franco nails it. I mean, there, there are people everywhere in Hollywood who do impressions of this guy. But it's not enough to just do an impression. You need to act as Tommy Wiseau. So while James Franco's impression of him is good, it's the acting while in that impression, I think, that really uh, brings this movie home and... Uh, is what earned James Franco the Oscar, which is, which is totally deserved, as I mentioned. 
I do believe that is it. So if you want to hop on number six. Sure. <clears throat> you look very well, uncomfortable with me talking about that. <laughs> you know what? Actually, hearing you uh, especially talk about the friendship and the bond between Tommy Wiseau and... Sorry, what was the other guy's name? Uh, it was Greg Sestero. Um, hearing you talk about that actually now has me intrigued to yes. watch it. And I hate to admit that. <laughs> All right, my number six um, is Wonder Woman. What a coincidence. My number six is Wonder Woman. That is phenomenal. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Okay, well, brief rundown on Wonder Woman. It's basically the story of Wonder Woman. It's, in case you didn't gather that from the title. Yeah. It tells a story of how Diana Prince becomes Wonder Woman. Um, she, we could get into the actual plot part, but really... This movie is about Wonder Woman. Yes. And that's what makes it so amazing. We'll talk about... Well, let's just start off. Gal Gadot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> sort of a same, same league as Charlize Theron in the sense that uh, she's on top of being drop-dead gorgeous, she's a super talented actress. I, I'm not ready to anoint her as a super talented actress yet because I haven't seen her do anything else. That's fair. That's now, a, but Grant her performance in this movie, however, is phenomenal. Yes. I don't want to get too too <laughs> deep into the problems with the uh, DCEU. Oh my which goodness. I, That's DC, an entire episode in itself DC as well. DC Extended Universe, so <sighs> whatever. But Is Justice League on your list at any point? <laughs> <laughs> Wait and find out. Okay. <laughs> Gal Gadot, the only word I can think to accurately describe her performance in this movie is charming. She is mesmerizing. She is so lovable. You just want to hold her and squeeze her and laugh. And, and then as soon as she starts becoming Wonder Woman and showing her strength, you get this real sense of power from her. Mm -hmm. She does both sides perfectly. I... If somebody was born for a role, I haven't seen somebody so perfect and born for a role since Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, my... Uh, I, I, I don't want to talk about the bad things about this movie because there are some things about this movie I didn't like, but... Despite the things about this movie that I didn't like that, for me, actually are problematic, it's basically Gal Gadot and Chris Pine that elevated this movie up to number six for me. The chemistry between those two is unbelievable. Not only romantic chemistry, I might add, but their, their comedic chemistry. Yes. Those... They are funny. I was howling at parts. Oh. These guys are so funny, which is something that's so needed in the DCEU. Yes. It really is. It it's just a little makes bit me, of comedy. It just makes me admire and respect Chris Pine even more. Yes. I keep forgetting how good, and again, I'm kind of really overusing this word, but he's so charming. He is. He's, and he's such a handsome man but <laughs> their their scenes together and the way they play off each other is phenomenal i don't want to get into spoilers so <laughs> let's go in easily for me the best part of the movie um was no man's land yes no man's land literally brought me to tears i can't remember the last time i felt that type of emotion from an action sequence. Mm -hmm. um, the score that they used, the way they filmed it, um, 
everything leading up to the scene with No Man's Land and then the No Man's Land scene itself is jaw-dropping. It gave me shivers. It's something, it's probably a scene that I will never forget. Um, It's the highlight of the movie for me. Um, And I won't lie, kind of after the end of the No Man's Land scene, the movie kind of goes downhill for me, and that's where my problems with the movie are. But I don't want to talk about the bad parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll disagree that the movie goes down... I won't disagree that the movie goes downhill from there, but I will disagree that there's nothing of value after that. I know that's not what you were implying, yeah. but in particular, uh, the one scene that stood out to me, I know you said No Man's Land was your favorite. Excellent choice. One of my favorites as well. My personal favorite is, no spoilers, after the supposed goal of the movie has been achieved. Mm. Wonder Woman has done what she sets out to do, and she realizes that... Uh, nothing has changed. She realizes that humanity is kind of fucked up. And through this whole movie, you just she exudes hope. She exudes optimism, oh, and that's perfectly. really this. That's really where the driving force of this movie comes from is her optimism. And there's a point in this movie where that optimism comes to a halt, and you can really feel that. And that just it hit a brick wall for like. In a good way, it hit a brick wall for me there. And the way that, again, we come back to Chris Pine and her chemistry, uh, the way he talks her out of that um, really just resonated with oh, me. And Yep. Yep, I, I, I concur 100%. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, and as much as we talk about how those two scenes really affected us, we we started off, and again, we cannot stress enough how much fun this oh my goodness! Is. Yes, it, it is, is so fun. Honestly, one of the one of the funnest movies I've experienced in the theater in recent memory. It was a, an absolute ton of fun, and that's really something I think that's been lacking. Uh, both the fun and the optimism. The superhero genre went through a period where it needed to be really dark. Everything needed to be the Dark Knight. Everything needed to be Batman Begins, and Wonder Woman isn't that it, it sort of flirts with that a little bit in the scene i was just referencing mm-hmm. but it really is just an optimistic hopeful joyful movie and that's something that's really lacking in uh, the superhero genre in general i find <clears throat> with with this movie and thor ragnarok in particular which also is unfortunately not on my list um but those two movies in particular this year were a lot of fun i agree i agree a whole 100 percent uh, so moving on to number five, uh, I'll go again. Go for it. Uh, number five for me, Logan. Okay, yeah. Uh, Which was your number nine? This was my number... La, 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 la. Yes, number nine. Okay. It was my number ten, and then I eliminated splits and Perfect. had to move it up. So yeah, number nine okay. was for me. Quick synopsis of Logan. In the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X somewhere on the Mexican border. However, Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy are upended when a young mutant arrives pursued by evil forces. I want to start off, even though the title of the movie is Logan, I want to start off with Patrick Stewart. I was going to say we need to start on Patrick Stewart because how incredible was Patrick Stewart in this movie? I honestly believe he was robbed of a Best Supporting Actor nomination. I 100%, again, don't have the nominees ahead of me or in front of me at this current moment, but he totally stood out as stealing every scene he was in. Oh, he was absolutely unreal. Um, We've kind of 
gotten used to him being Professor X, and yes, hearing Professor X swear is, of course, entertaining, <laughs> but it's not the only reason just because he could swear. It's because of the pathos and the gravitas that Patrick Stewart brings to a role mm-hmm. um, that you can really see, and he really played the deterioration of Professor X well, and you can still see the man that Professor X was in there desperately trying to fight against the crumbling of this man's mind and the way that he is medicated to kind of numb everything that's going on. Um, it's just phenomenal work from Patrick Stewart. And uh, I won't lie, it, it actually brought tears to my face knowing that Logan got a screenplay nomination because this is such a well-written movie. It's It kind of bucks the trend of superhero films um, one of the reasons, and I'm going to digress off of Patrick Stewart here, um, but I want to stay on this tangent. One mm-hmm. of the reasons that Logan really resonated with me is it dropped the stakes. It's not about some magic blue light in the sky that's going to blow everything up. Yes. It's about family. Mm-hmm. And that's why Logan hit home for me. Um, we'll return to that. Um, your thoughts on Patrick Stewart? Yeah, uh, Patrick Stewart... Uh... I think everything that could be said has been said. Robbed of a nom, phenomenal performance. Um, in particular, it's been a while since I've actually seen this movie. I haven't rewatched it since theaters, so you might have to jog my memory. Uh, is it in a casino where this particular scene is, uh, where he has one of his episodes? Yes. Yeah. Um, the follow, both the execution of that scene oh. was phenomenal. Uh, visually, was great, and Patrick Stewart's reaction to said scene uh, was heartbreaking i'm using that word a lot for a lot of these but hey the heartbreaking scenes are what what gets me in particular but those were both wonderful um moving moving off of that perhaps a little bit um what were we just talking about the uh the the blue light in the sky that's going to destroy the city i do like how they got away from i completely agree with that because as much fun as it is to see that we've seen it yes there's always in every single movie now there's the Tesseract, or uh, some other artifact that's going to destroy humanity. What What is a Tesseract? Who cares? Let's let's go find it and stop the evil guy from using it to destroy the city. That's not to shit on the Avengers, which is a great movie, but we've seen that before, and superhero movies really need to show us that there's more to them than that now, because that is trodden territory, and Logan totally does that. Logan is just a lot more introspective, it's a lot more intimate, like you said, it's about it's about family. Yeah, and, and I, I can throw on my best Vin Diesel impersonation. Family, oh. I'm Fast and Furious, but that is not on either of our lists. Although I don't think that was released that year anyway. It will never make any of my lists. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, to touch on to touch on that. Um, granted, probably the themes of family are probably hitting me a little bit harder now that I am a father. Hi, I'm Jay. I love you. Um, <laughs> but it's it, it really hit home. And I, and that's one of the things I loved about Logan. And also one of the reasons that uh, Spider-Man was really nice is that the stakes, the actual stakes in Spider-Man are pretty low. Um, but Logan, it, it's, it is. It's just about family. The if, if Logan doesn't get to win in the end in this movie then really only about three or four people are affected by it, not the whole world. It's not going to be the end of the world. But it's because of that, that intimacy of the stakes, that really raise the stakes of the movie for me. It makes you feel that connection, and Logan does a great job. 
Um, everybody, a lot of people talk about the violence in it. Um, it is rated oh. R. Uh, it's finally nice to see somebody who has knives coming out of his hand actually cut people this time. Uh, I believe the proper terminology is that he fucks them up. That's true. <laughs> he um, fucks some people up in this movie it's, big time. Yeah, and, and it's great because growing up, uh, being an X-Men fan, I've, I've read Wolverine in the comics, and in the comics they do a great job. They obviously don't have a lot of blood and stuff, in the, but they don't shy away from what Wolverine is capable of doing with his powers. In the movies, they've had to because, you know, you don't want to make a rated R superhero movie because you want your kid, you want the kids to be able to see it. Um, this is definitely not a kid's movie. This movie exists in a post-Deadpool world. Yes. <laughs> um, Deadpool's probably one of the reasons and you definitely do research into it. It's one of the reasons that this movie exists. And for that, besides my actual love of Deadpool, I am so thankful for this because this movie is phenomenal. Yes. Um, Hugh Jackman, once again, owns it as Wolverine. The man was born for this role, and it's, I'm sad that this is going to be his last film. We'll see. But yeah, money talks, right? But, it does. Yeah. It does. But he is getting older, and he said getting in shape for this has become... Holder, uh, harder, sorry. Um, I personally think uh, it's his best performance, probably outside of Prisoners. 100%. Prisoners being an absolutely great movie that you should check out if you haven't, but this... Please see Prisoners. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, another problem I sort of have had with Wolverine, not, not necessarily a huge one, hasn't pre- prevented me from watching Wolverine movies or anything, is that uh, his... Uh, regenerative abilities his invincibility uh are sort of a narrative problem at times just because it's so difficult to have to allow your movie to have stakes when your main character can't die yep it's so difficult to write a story where the audience is invested Ooh, what's going to happen next when you know that there's zero chance of him dying at the end uh this movie has a pretty elegant solution to that make him super sick Yep, and again, that's not spoiling anything. You find that out right at the beginning of the movie. Wolverine's sick, and he's not regenerating, and he doesn't really know why. Yep, or rather, he's regenerating slower. Yeah, it uh. is great. Um, the last thing I want to touch on before we move off of Logan uh, is the absolute beautiful performance by little Daphne Keene. Is that her name? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I. I'm trying to catch up on my comic book reading, and I've only dabbled a little bit into Laura, or X-23, as she's called in the comics. Mm-hmm. And now I do know, spoiler alert, if you, do, if you don't read comics, Wolverine is dead in comics, and she has now taken over his mantle as Wolverine. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, we can talk about comics another time. <laughs> um, but the character of Laura in the comics is absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, Daphne Keene as Laura in this movie... Um, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, so most of her acting is done through physical and reactions. Um, and it's mesmerizing for me, the bond she shares with Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman in the film, uh, really touches me. Again, I'm granted, uh, I totally am biased because I'm a father <laughs> to a little girl. You softy. I am a total softy. <laughs> so it probably hit, it for me, it hit home probably a little bit harder than it would prior to me having a daughter. I'm fully aware of that, um, but it really meant a lot to me. I loved her performance um, when she's just with them, and then when she Wolverine's out, X-23's out, goes batshit crazy and kicks everybody's fucking ass. I was ass. going to say, the scene where she oh. it's revealed what she is 
is uh, probably one of the best action scenes of the entire year, if not the best action scene of the year. Oh. It is great. Outside of Atomic Blonde, I will agree with that. Which I haven't seen. Fair so enough. It's one of the best action scenes that I've seen this year. Um, it definitely, I won't lie, Logan uh, made me cry <laughs> numerous times uh, throughout the film. Um, but uh, that's it for my number five, Logan. I thought it was, oh yeah, number six was Wonder Woman, number yep. five, Logan. Okay. My number five, another movie I've seen relatively recently. No peeking at my notes there, Manny. <laughs> number five is The Shape of Water. Which, oh, didn't make my list. Didn't make your list, really. Nope. Okay, well, maybe I can sway you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Shape of Water is a Guillermo del Toro movie. He's the director. Uh, he directed such masterpieces as... Masterpieces? Uh, that's very high praise and not at, all, <laughs> not at all my actual thoughts. It's just the word that came out of my mouth. Um, but he's directed. He's the director of Hellboy, Hellboy Two, uh, Pacific Rim, uh, all of which are visual, visually lovely and narratively. Eh. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth is my favorite. Pan's girl. Labyrinth I actually haven't seen, but uh, I, from my understanding, it's pretty good. But Shape of Water uh, is essentially just about uh, a cleaning woman at uh, some sort of government agency. Um, I'm not sure it's ever explicitly said which. Mm. Uh, but she uh, she discovers that in this facility that she cleans, there's uh, a sort of sea monster living in one of the tanks, being held captive. That the uh, the government is studying. Uh, this movie takes place in the Cold War, and uh, over time, she um, falls in love with this monster. It's a very unconventional movie. The, very the, unconventional yeah, love story. Yeah, you thought you thought uh, certain groups would have issues with the the gay love story and Call Me by Your Name. What about <laughs> what about a woman falling in love with a sea monster? I know, right? <laughs> um, but I I thought this movie was fantastic. Um, Guillermo del Toro won the Oscar for best directing in this. Not movie. Oscar. Golden Globe. So, Golden Globe, thank you. We are recording this before the Oscars. Uh, but he won the Golden Globe for directing. Um, and honestly, I think it was rightfully deserved. The first thing that stood out to me as I was watching this movie in theaters uh, was it's visually beautiful. I agree. Every single frame, every single shot is just, it looks like a painting. It, like the, the color palette in this movie, I, I can just go on and on and on about this movie just oozes with life. It's... Every single frame looks like an oil painting. Oh, I agree. Uh, that, yep. That's the first thing that absolutely stands out to me. Um, we can talk about the performances. This movie, I believe, has only one acting nomination for uh, Richard Jenkins. No. For supporting actor. For, for Oscars? Yeah. Three. It has three. I don't, and I think you're wrong. I don't think Jenkins, if Jenkins got nominated, there's definitely Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins was nominated. And Octavia uh, Spencer. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm totally wrong. Yeah, you are absolutely correct. Sally Hawkins. I thought that Richard Jenkins was, but yeah, Sally Hawkins, Octavia Spencer, and uh, maybe Richard Jenkins. I'm not sure. Yeah, you we'll, seem to think not. I'll well, I'll check on that. You get on that. Regardless, all these nominations are well deserved. They're all phenomenal. Sally Hawkins is the lead as this woman. I should also mention uh, that as the lead in this movie, she is deaf, which is where the sort of bond. No, not deaf. Oh, sorry, not deaf. Mute. She's mute. Um, and she, I swear I did see the movie, by the way, <laughs> getting, all, getting all these facts wrong about it, uh, but she is mute, which is sort of, uh, where the bond with this, uh, sea monster sort of comes from, uh, and she's phenomenal. She's, uh, we were talking earlier about the little girl from Logan having a great, uh, nonverbal performance. Sally Hawkins, uh, is also another fantastic nonverbal performance. Agreed. Um, you got anything for me there on the yeah. nomination front? Jenkins was nominated. For Jenkins sure. was nominated. Yeah. Okay, and so was Hawkins. Yeah, and so was 
Uh, Octavia Spencer. Okay. So where I wanted to go with that was as good as Richard Jenkins is and probably deserving of a nomination, this movie has what I think is the snub of the year in the Oscar category, and that's Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon was really, really good as the main antagonist in the movie. He's uh, sort of the head of this uh, government agency where this beast is being held. And I thought he was terrifying. I thought he was very intimidating and uh, really just did a a great job with what he had. You disagree with that notion? Not at all. Not at all. I absolutely love Michael Shannon. I I do agree. Um, He was snubbed, but I'm actually just kind of looking at the supporting actor race right now. And it's pretty strong. It's pretty pretty tight. It's pretty tight since we all already said that Patrick Stewart got a snub kind of mm. looking at it, I don't know who we take out but we yeah. can get into that uh, we'll, we're going to yeah. talk about Oscars yeah. down the road uh, just looking at my notes here I think uh, I would have Michael Shannon over Richard Jenkins personally not that Richard Jenkins Jenkins is uh, his performance is bad in this movie or anything like you said it's a very strong category and I don't think you could really justify uh, taking anyone out uh, so yeah, visually stunning, like I said, great performances. Uh, I haven't talked about any of the scores in any of the movies that I've covered yet. I loved the score of this movie. It's uh, just, it, I mentioned that every frame looks like a painting in this movie. The score just sort of adds to that. I don't know who did it. I think Manny is looking it up as we speak. Um, but it, it just fills the movie with a sense of wonder and mystery and, and romance and it just sets the tone for the movie so absolutely perfectly well. Oh, I actually do that. It was Alexandre Desplat. Ah, okay. Desplat? Who knows? I don't know. French. I don't know. <laughs> There's every consonant in that name is probably silent. Just going to check out some of the other ones he's done. Continue going. Yeah, for sure. Um, personally, I think this is one of the most unique movies of the year. I don't think I've seen a movie like this in a long time. Uh, both, not necessarily in, term of, in terms of the, uh, the narrative structure of it, but just in the way that it's shot, in the, in the color palette, in the feel of this movie. This movie takes place during the Cold War. Um, again, we come back to our friend from, uh, from previous movies, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, again is in this movie and again has a wonderful performance. Oh, he's so good. Seriously, give that guy's agent a raise already. Um, but yes, all of, all of the above. Do you have any, any thoughts on Shape of Water, why it didn't make your list? Um, for me, I just didn't... I just didn't feel a connection to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it's a phenomenal film. Everything, all the awards and praise uh, that's been heaped upon it are well-deserved. Mm-hmm. For me, I just didn't have a connection to the movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Um, I, I, I cannot disagree with anything you said. Visually, it's phenomenal, mm-hmm. as all del Toro films are. They're For all sure. visually stunning. His monster work, phenomenal. Yes. Um, I, I I actually love that you said every frame is like an oil painting that perfectly yeah. describes the visual of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the performances from top to bottom are spectacular. Um, As I, evidenced by the nominations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won't lie. I disagree with Octavia Spencer. I, I, was going to, I wasn't going to go there, but you feel free to. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't see why yeah. she got nominated. I didn't mm-hmm. see anything in this performance that led to me believe that she should get nominated. Not that she was bad. No, not that she was bad. I just don't see where the nomination comes from. But whatever. I, I do know that she is incredibly popular in Hollywood, yeah. and I would have to take a deep, hard look at other supporting actress performances to decide what would be better than hers. I just didn't find anything about it particularly enthralling. Um, I, I have... 
pretty good idea that this is going to do well at the Oscars. I know it had the most nominations this year. I think thirteen. So Did it really? Yeah. I can. I guess I can believe that. Yeah. That's you know that's like that's Titanic and Ben Hur numbers. And we're talking. La La Land and yeah. So it's it's looking pretty good to to take home some gold at the Oscars. Um, and I won't be upset if it wins a lot of them. Um, but best picture. Yeah. I, again, this is only number five on my list. So this, uh, this isn't my pick for best picture. It's a wonderful movie. It is wonderful. Um, I, I you, won't disagree. You mentioned Guillermo del Toro's, uh, monster work. Uh, I guess we should probably talk about the monster in this movie. Cause I think he's super cool. Oh, he's, Doug, he's Doug, a great looking monster. Doug Jones, uh, is del Toro's go-to guy. Mm-hmm. He played the, funny enough, the fish guy in the Hellboy movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, whose name I can remember. I can't remember off the top of my head, but when I hear it, I'm Abe. Abe something. Oh, whatever. Right. It's going to piss me <laughs> off. Um, he's great. Um, I don't remember him. He doesn't definitely doesn't talk, but he does make no. some sounds. But yes. his he obviously Doug Jones has some skills or some uh, I can't think of the right word. He's got some this specific movement to him where yeah. he not once do I ever doubt that this guy didn't spend his entire life underwater. Yeah. He is phenomenal. Um, the chemistry between him and Sally Hawkins um, is palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do. I, I agree. I, I, I did love this film, um, but I just didn't connect to it, and that's why it's not. That's entirely fair. And honestly, I can agree with that knock. Some of the more romantic stuff towards the end of the movie is where it falls a little flat, but... Uh, the world building, the the visuals I described, really just elevate this movie for me. Oh, if it, visually, if, I, I agree. It's yeah. it's a, a treat, an yeah. I, absolute eye treat. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I think that's just about everything I want to say. Uh, number four. Number four for Manuel is the movie that brought me probably the most joy of the year, Thor Ragnarok. Really? Oh, my God. Not on my list. Not on your list. That's too bad. Good good movie. Oh, God, I laughed. You, uh, you, I, you I, go for it. Again, <laughs> full disclosure, super biased towards the MCU <laughs> and all things Marvel. I had so much fun at this movie. I knew you were going to have Wonder Woman and uh, Logan up here, but Thor is a little bit of a surprise. Actually. I was actually surprised as I was making this list that this was this high. I think, yeah, you mentioned that before we were but recording. But I... Right continually with one of my coworkers, we continually still to this day are quoting Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I, he has a much better knowledge of the quotes of it. So he, it's basically him quoting them constantly and me giggling nonstop. Uh, do you want to give a brief synopsis? Yeah. Thor finds himself imprisoned on the other side of the universe and has to escape to get back to Asgard to stop Ragnarok, the destruction of his homeworld by Hela. This, is, for me, is the funniest movie of the year. Now, granted, as I've mentioned to you, but probably not to our listeners, I'm not big into comedy. <laughs> broad comedies don't appeal to me. I don't like Will Ferrell. I don't like Adam Sandler. Any of those broad comedies don't play with me. I'm, I'm a Will Ferrell fan, not so much Adam Sandler. We're going to have some serious discussions <laughs> about them down the road. Yes. Um, so for me, I don't... I don't I, I'd have to double check my list, but I don't even think, oh, and that's not true. I was going to like, I didn't go to any comedies this year, but I went and saw The Big Sick, and that's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I'm actually surprised this didn't make my list. In retrospect, probably should. Um, But this was the funniest movie of the year. I start to finish, I was giggling, I was laughing. I had so much fun at this movie. This movie, even though it 
it's set in the MCU. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's not building towards something else, even though it does tie into the other things. This is a buddy movie between Thor and our old good buddy, the Hulk. They have so much fun. Chris Helmsworth kills it as Thor. Again, MCU and their casting is unbelievable. I don't know where they found Hemsworth prior to Thor. I could probably look it on IMDb, but I don't care. He is Thor. He's going to go down as Thor. I hope he stays Thor forever. <laughs> I know that he started with some comedy stuff in that Ghostbusters remake, which I never watched. Uh, anyways. <laughs> we don't have to go there. But I heard he's great in it. And this leads more if this leads into more comedy work for chris hemsworth i'm on board because he's so fun in yeah. this movie um taika watiti is the uh director i'm pretty sure he had his hand in writing it as well uh he, my note here he infused fun into the thor franchise and lets hemsworth display his comedic chops and steals the movie as korg yes 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 korg yes. is so much fun some of the most quotable lines in the entire yes movie. um Tessa Thompson uh, as Valkyrie is badass. Um, her introduction to the movie, not spoiling anything, she shows up in the ship, walks off. She has this great entrance. Everyone's scared of her. <laughs> and then she falls off the runway because she's pissed drunk. Yeah. It is comedic gold, but she completely kills it. And not once do you ever think that this lady is anything but one of the toughest people in the universe. She's unreal. Kate Blanchett is having the time of her life as Hela. She's just having and eating up the biggest ham sandwich of all time. <laughs> She's hamming it up, having fun playing the goddess of death. She looks fantastic. Kate Blanchett is Easily in my top five actresses. Um, I love her. I think she's gorgeous, but her talent is otherworldly. Not on full display in this movie, but that's not what I'm looking for. That's, that's an understatement. Yeah. Um, everybody else is having so much fun. There's a couple cameos um, that are great. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch shows up as Doctor Strange in a really fun scene. Tom Hiddleston returns yet again as Loki and again is just showing why he is the best villain in the MCU. Um, it's just such a fun movie, and because of the joy it brought me, that's why it's ranked so high on my list. I don't disagree with any of your reasons. It was totally a fun movie. I laughed my ass off during that movie. Um, there were a bunch a bunch of different scenes. You, you mentioned, uh, what was uh, Taika Waititi's character's name? I forget. Korg. Korg, yeah. Korg easily is the best part of this movie oh, for me. I, oh, huh. uh, actually, I shouldn't say that because there's one, one character you didn't hit on, and that would be Jeff Goldblum's character. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Go do you want to say anything about Jeff Goldblum? I, or? <laughs> I didn't enjoy get Jeff Goldblum as much as you did. I love Jeff Goldblum I in this movie. I know you did. He was so fun. Just think about the most Jeff Goldblumy performance you could possibly think of, and then multiply it by 10. He is just completely ridiculous in this movie, and I loved it. On the flip side, you mentioned you didn't like Jeff Goldblum as much as I did. I didn't like Kate Blanchett as much as you did. I agree that she was completely hamming it up, and it was supposed to be a little bit cheesy, but uh, even outside of the performance of her character, what really uh, forced this movie to not make the list for me is just 
the lack of feeling there was stakes at the end of the movie, how the villain was just sort of had... We were talking earlier about how every superhero movie now has to have just the thing in the sky destroying the city, and it was very much in that vein. It was... Uh, the villain had a pretty weak motivation, in my opinion. Just pretty, I, I can't argue with that. Pretty, pretty vague backstory. And again, th- this movie's supposed to be fun, so these could be considered nitpicks, but these are, these are things that just kind of uh, lessened my... Uh, enjoyment of the movie and it's obviously the movie's bad the movie's really really good and it was probably if we had made top 20 lists it would have made my top 20 list but <laughs> it just th- those types of things are what took it out of the top 10 for me oh personally. totally i get it i 100 percent get it yeah yeah i i can't argue for me really thor's on this list because of the amount of fun and joy it brought me for sure fantastic movie um, number four on my list, uh, a movie you mentioned that Thor surprised you how high it was on your list. This movie surprised me how high it ended up on my list. And maybe upon some revision, maybe that would change. But for right now, in the number four spot is Get Out. Ooh. Yeah. So you have seen this movie, right? I have. I know it took you a long, long time to watch it. It did. Yeah. It did. Not out of any... Not, I can't even think of why. Um, I'd heard such great things, um, but I, uh, I just didn't get around to watching it i owned it and i just never watched it and i'm so glad i did but but please break down the movie first yeah for sure so uh this movie is written and directed by jordan peele uh some of you might know from mad tv or key and peele it's his writing and directorial debut essentially what the movie is about is this black guy who's i actually should have written down the name of his character i'm not just saying some black guy because that's how i describe people it's actually (laughs) relevant to the movie he's uh he's in a relationship with this white woman and uh, the two of them go to meet her parents. And he's kind of nervous. Like, uh, what are they going to think of me? Chris. His name's Chris. His name's Chris. So uh, Chris and his white girlfriend go to meet her white parents. And they act very strange the entire time. And there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes in this movie that you don't really figure out towards the end of the movie. I'm sort of undecided as to whether or not I should spoil what's going on. I, I don't think you should because, yeah. in my opinion, a lot of the people I've talked to haven't seen it yes so letting them experience this without spoilers fair enough i think would be a great idea because if they listen to this and then want to go see it it is nominated for best picture and rightfully so yes so i i personally think that we should not spoil this movie even though it's been out for almost a full year yeah go see it people come on (laughs) see it you won't regret it yeah exactly okay so i won't spoil what's going on behind the scenes in this movie but uh rest assured there's some sinister plots afoot um, but essentially he just goes to meet his girlfriend's parents and they have, they have this party. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure how to describe the plot of this movie, honestly, without describing what's going on, but rest assured when he goes to their house, there are some very strange things happening. That's the and, best way to describe it. Yes. That is all I can do to describe it without spoiling what's actually happening. Um, so I mentioned this was the directorial and writing debut for Jordan Peele, who's mostly a comedic guy. When I heard that, I really wasn't sure what to think of this movie, because don't get me wrong, Key and Peele, I'm a fan of. I don't know about you. I think Key and Peele's a really, really funny show. And when I heard that he was going to be directing a horror movie, I didn't know what to think. And this movie rocks. I, I can't even argue. Every, every good thing you hear about this movie is 100% true. Yes, completely. Uh, the writing in this movie, this movie is really unlike any movie I've ever seen before in terms of how it really fleshes out its themes. Um, the performances in this movie are very good. Um, I don't necessarily completely agree with the nomination for Daniel. I'm going to butcher his last name. 
<laughs> Kalua? Let's go with that. Daniel Kalua, uh, while he is good, I don't necessarily agree with his nomination, but he is very good in this movie. I, I, I'll, I'll, and I sorry to cut you off there. I do like that he got this nomination because it's so rare that horror films get any type of recognition. Completely. So I do like that he got yeah. this nomination, but really everyone's just setting up to fail to uh, Gary Oldman anyways. Exactly. I digress. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, well the the slow revelation of what this family does again. I'm not spoiling anything. It is very well realized. The oh, way I agree. the way that they give you little bits of information to get kind of give you a peek into what's happening. They they pace it out just so perfectly. Um, there's some really nice themes uh, about race in this movie. Again, we're a couple of white dudes talking about this, so maybe uh, <laughs> I well I mean I think we are qualified to talk about it a little bit, I guess, but. Um, Really, uh, I think one of the main themes of this movie is just to show that all these people who claim that they're not racist and all of these white people who hang around their dad, or uh, their this white girl's parents, they really do benefit from racism. And I think that's really what this movie is trying to say, is that even people who aren't racist really are benefiting from a system that's uh, tying black people down, which is something that I think uh, is an important message for uh, white people to hear a lot of the time. Uh, bu- bu- bu. Uh, what is next on my list? Oh, this movie is hilarious. I mentioned Ugh. that uh, Jordan Peele is uh, a comedic, uh, a comedian at heart. Um, this movie, even though it's a horror movie, is really, really funny. In particular, his uh, the lead's friend who works for the TSA. Yeah, is Lil, absolutely... Lil Ray Howery. Lil Ray Howery. That guy is absolutely hilarious. I want to see him in more stuff. I want more of him. Uh, he has this weird uh, conspiracy theory, like... Uh, about sex slaves oh. that uh, they get a ton of mileage out of and I think is hilarious. Um, there's a ton of little bits in this movie that I don't even, I can't even really do justice by describing them. They're just phenomenal. There's a scene towards the end of the movie where um, the girlfriend is looking up a bunch of NCAA basketball players on her laptop. Yep. And the way it's, I can't, again, I can't even describe why it's funny without spoiling some stuff, but it is absolutely hilarious. Um, there's some scenes of hypnosis in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really well realized. I think really they look well. really good. They're, they're not, uh, trying to overachieve. They're not trying to do too much with the visu- visuals. They're very minimalistic and I, I really liked what they did with it. Um, yeah. Any, any thoughts on Get Out? Yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie and all the praise that has been heaped on it, um, is well deserved. Um, I'm not a fan of horror. It's easily my least favorite genre. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, So going in, I was really hesitant. Even with all the praise and everything I've heard about it, I was really hesitant to watch this movie because I just don't like horror. But this movie is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Everything I've heard about it was true. The writing is fantastic. The performances are fantastic. And I know you didn't really enjoy uh, Daniel's performance. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't in the same league as some of the other Best Actor nominees, I think. I agree, but for me, I I think it was. Um, His scenes in the party where there's subtle racism going on and Mm -hmm. his reactions to it Mm -hmm. um, are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's the small little things. He doesn't have any really showy moments except for maybe when he's being hypnotized, which isn't much of a spoiler. Yes. Um, For me... The when I realized when I was watching something brilliant being done mm-hmm. is the scene uh, where Georgina 
is trying to explain why she looked at Daniel's cell phone. Not giving any spoilers away in that. Um, the acting performance by Betty Gabriel. Yes. She's really good, too. She is unbelievable. When uh, Not spoiling anything. When she flips the switch towards the end of the movie, uh, that really was an oh shit sort of moment and you could really feel it it really was Mm -hmm. um i'd love to dive deeper in this movie but i don't think we should spoil anything because if for anyone that hasn't seen this movie i don't want to wreck it for them because once you once you see what's going on in this movie it just your mind's almost kind of blown yeah if if it sounds boring the way that we're describing it a, it's probably because we're describing it really boringly, and B, it's because we there's so much that happens in this movie that we just can't spoil anything from like the first ten minutes on. What I gave you with the synopsis is really all I can give you without giving you some crucial plot points, which are really better realized just as a viewer rather than listening to us schmoes talk about it. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 worth checking out a hundred percent. If you haven't seen Get Out, go see it. I think that's going to be the recommendation from just about every movie on this list from yeah, here on out. But, pretty uh, much. But number three, Mr. Manny. All right. This was hard for me. My one, two, three flip-flopped often. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll mention as well that I spent more time on my one, two, three than I did on my four through ten. And as I'm sitting here about to reveal my number three, I'm like, I kind of want to make this my number one. <laughs> but then I look up at my number two and I want to make that number one. So number three is Wind River. Yes. I I also have that on my list. It's not the next movie on my list. So maybe we should uh, hold off on that one for a second. We will will hold off. But yes. yes, Oh, God, yes. Okay, so should I do my number three then? Yes. Okay, so my number three is another one that Manny had on his list, but way lower. That would be Baby Driver. Nice. So this is number three. This is, no, this is my third favorite movie of this year. I totally forgot that Baby Driver was at number 10 and that we hadn't touched on it until now. Yes. I love that you have it this high. No, it is absolutely a great movie. So uh, for those of you not familiar with the plot, uh, Ansel Elgort, who you might know from The Fault in Our Stars, uh, he plays a getaway driver for uh, these bank robbers. And a uh, rather crucial uh Detail of the plot is that he has tinnitus, which is just ringing in your ears that never goes away. So as such, he always has his earbuds in, listening to music to drown it out. Um, I'm not sure there's much more I need to get into besides that, other than uh, it kind of has... I don't want to say a cliche, but yeah, kind of a cliche plot in that he has one more job before he's got to get out. (laughs) Definitely a trope. Definitely a trope, but really well realized. So the first thing I want to touch on is that Edgar Wright is the director of this movie. And you might know some of his movies. He directed Shaun of the Dead. He directed Hot Fuzz. He directed The World's End. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Um, If I'm forgetting anything, feel free to jump in. Those are the main ones. Yeah, those are sort of the main ones. But this guy, I've been a fan of Edgar Wright's movies for a long time. Shaun of the Dead was one of the first R-rated comedies I ever watched, and it's been near and dear to me ever since. I know I just made you feel really old by mentioning that. (laughs) (laughs) I already feel old. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, this... With a resume like that, it's hard to top it, and this might be the best movie that Edgar Wright has ever made. It is absolutely stunning. Um, it's nominated for editing. I honestly can't see just about anything beating it. Maybe I, Tonya, uh could beat it, uh, which is also nominated, also very good. I can already tell you it won't win, but I know it will. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, what, what's going to win if you want to... Oh, I think I know what's going to win also, but we'll touch on that in a bit, I'm sure. 
Um, the attention to detail in this movie is absolutely incredible. There's a long take intro that's really, oh, really fun. That opening yeah. intro. It's, I, I will say that the first 20 minutes of this movie, just, I was, I was already in a trance. I already just loved this movie 20 minutes in. And a big part of it was due to this intro that Manny and I are talking about. Uh, these, uh, these background gags that sort of happened yep. in the background of it. It's just so much fun. The way that music is uh, intertwined within this movie, that, that's one of the things I really liked about the editing and why I wanted to touch on it, is that every cut and every movement is sort of to the rhythm of the music. Yep. Like People talk about uh, rhythm when you edit a lot. This movie literally does have a sort of musical rhythm that it needs to edit to. And I think whoever did the editing for this movie really deserves some recognition for that. Because it's a ton of fun and it's really difficult to line it up with music like that. Um, this is one of the funnest movies of the year. And again, I'm not necessarily campaigning for best picture for all these movies up here. I think we're sort of just going off what we had the most fun with, what I definitely did. Yeah, these are, my, these are even though we, it's our top movies of 20, these are my favorite yes, movies absolutely. of 2017. If I was to make the best movies of 2017, mm -hmm. it'd probably be a little bit different. Um, the performances in this movie, uh, Ansel Elgort as Baby. Uh, he is really, really good. When I first heard about this movie, I thought it would be about a baby that drives cars. It is not, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> um, his character's name is Baby. And again, he's uh, sort of in the vein of what we were talking about earlier with The Shape of Water and with Logan. This is a very non-speaking role. Like you're, he's, he's not going on any rants in this movie. He doesn't have any big speeches. It's a very quiet, physical role. And he plays it really well, and you can tell that he's having a lot of fun as he's acting in this movie. Yeah, this he he does do well. Uh, I didn't find him all that great, but I didn't hate the performance. Yeah, I think he's for me he's kind of overshadowed because I enjoyed the dialogue and the um, connections of the other characters. I found that it kind of overshadowed. For me, I found his, you know, the the more I think about it, I found his performance actually kind of weak. Um, but I think it's because the other powerhouse actors in this film really show you what great acting can be. For sure. And I was actually going to touch on them last. I purposely mentioned Ansel Elgort, for, Elgort first because even though he is the lead, there are some performances in this movie that really stand out. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been in the news a bit. A little uh, bit. Maybe, a little bit. Maybe just Google that if you, uh, if you haven't seen that. Unfortunately, he is fantastic. <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry um, to say, he is phenomenal. He's, he's a lot of fun in this movie. Don't worry, it's his last role. We're not going to be seeing him again. So I feel comfortable saying that he's really good in this movie. you got to call a spade a spade. Yeah, he is. He's yeah. really good. He just reads off that dialogue with that rat-a-tat-tat. Yeah. And Edgar Wright is sort of famous with the movies I mentioned earlier in particular. He does have sort of this rapid-fire dialogue. Um, and this movie is no exception. It really does have some fantastic dialogue oh, and writing fantastic. as well. Oh, it's fantastic. And the, the crew, the rest of the crew that he gathers, which we'll touch on here shortly, yeah. um, they just play with it. It's just phenomenal. And I think for that's one of the reasons that, for me, Ansel Elgort just kind of looks yeah. a little bit... It's under. not so much that he was bad. It was that there were some better performances to choose from in this movie, yes. I guess. Okay, that's fair. Um, one of which uh, I'm... Gonna save the best for last, I suppose. Uh, let's go to John Hamm next. Okay. John Hamm was awesome. Yes. He was 
so eccentric and he had really two sides to his character. He was really fun for the first half of this movie and then something happens in the later bit of this movie and he just becomes intimidating oh and terrifying it and was, you really believe it. Yeah, he he plays scary really good. Yeah. Like he drew out some real fear in me. I won't lie. Like I was I was like, "Oh, he's fucking badass." <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, John Hamm, phenomenal. Ansel Elgort, pretty good. Kevin Spacey, unfortunately good. Um, and that, that leaves us, of course, with Jamie Foxx. Oh, who, Jamie. He absolutely steals this movie. You want to talk about... We talked about John Hamm being intimidating. Jamie Foxx is an asshole in Holy this movie. Holy shit. Not only is he an asshole, he's a scary asshole. Yes. He, you, you feel like he can fly off the handle at any given moment. You totally believe his performance. He's sort of a loose cannon. I should mention that John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, and uh, Jamie Foxx sort of make up Ansel Elgort's crew, if you're not sort of familiar. Or rather, Ansel Elgort, Jamie Foxx, and John Hamm make up Kevin Spacey's crew. Fair enough. Kevin Spacey being the boss. Uh, but Jamie Foxx is really... Uh, he steals every scene he's in. He's antagonizing. He's rude. He's invasive. He... Ugh. He really just, you feel his presence in every single scene, and you want him to leave in every single scene, and I mean that in a good way. Yes. You're just, you're just like, go away. Like, you're ruining the plot right now. Yes. And he's just, he's scary. He's the, he's the fly in the ointment. He's, yes. He's the monkey in the wrench. Yeah. He's unbelievable. And yeah, you just like, you're like, just go away. Please, just leave. <laughs> <laughs> you put and we that in the best perfectly. way. Perfectly. Yeah. You just want him to go away. If he goes away, everything will be fine. But he never does. Nope. And it's really awesome because of it. Um, as far as the ending of this movie goes, I personally liked it. It does drag on a hair longer than you'd expect from uh, from a heist sort of movie. But I liked that they didn't sort of give you uh, necessarily the traditional ending entirely. Yeah, it is sort of a happy Hollywood ending, but not to not to the extent that we're normally used to. I think I from these sort of heist movies. Yep. So overall, from front to back, this movie is just an absolute blast. Yeah, if you're looking to have some fun, Baby Driver is a great one to check out. Yeah. Okay. So that, that that'll do it for Baby Driver for me. All number, right. Number two. Number two. Blade Runner 2049. Which I have not seen. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's totally okay. This movie, uh, directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, one of the best directors working in Hollywood today, period. Oh, my God. He was uh, he directed my number one movie of 2016, which was Arrival. Which I couldn't even argue with, I'm sure. Oh, God. Okay, so the, uh, a quick synopsis of Blade Runner 2049 is 30 years after the events of the first film, which is Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, uh, LAPD officer K, Ryan Gosling, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. For those of you that haven't seen the original Blade Runner, it's not required viewing to enjoy this movie, but if you do watch the original Blade Runner, it makes this one even better. Um, if you don't watch uh, the original Blade Runner, this uh, some revelations that come in this movie won't resonate as much. Um, so I do recommend watching the first Blade Runner before seeing this. Watching the first Blade Runner before seeing this will allow you to appreciate what Denny did with this because it is a prue a prue <laughs> it is a true <laughs> yeah it's a true and pure sequel in the best sense of the word he copies the exact visuals that Ridley Scott made for the first film into this movie 
it looks exactly the way this should. Um, it is 30 years later, but what they've done, you don't really, they, they touch upon it, but there was a catastrophic, a catastrophic event that kind of hindered any type of technology moving forward. It's not a spoiler. I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, the thing with Blade Runner 2049, before I dive more into it, is it's not the kind of movie that I feel I can recommend for people to watch. This is the kind of movie that I love. It is a slow burn. And at 2 hours and 49 minutes, that's a long, slow burn. Oh, I get it, because it's 2049 and it's yeah. 2 hours and 49 minutes. Oh, I don't, oh, I don't even know if that's actually true. I think <laughs> I guessed that. I'll double-check double that. Oh, okay. Um, it is long. It is almost 3 hours long, and but I didn't notice it. Even though it's a slow burn, I'm completely mesmerized. This is hands down one of the most beautiful films I have ever seen. It does honestly make me sad, Sam, that you're not going to see it on the big screen because yeah. that's the way this movie was meant to be seen. Right. If Roger Deakins doesn't win his first Oscar, and Roger Deakins, I just researched, has had 13 Oscar nominations for Without Senator, a win. Without a win. That's incredible. And here's a list of the movies that he's filmed and didn't win for. I'm going to cringe big time. You are. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm gonna go in chronological order starting from the newest ones to his oldest okay newest ones i'll probably be more familiar with yes, being the you, young and that i am you are yeah. sicario oh my goodness prisoners both beautiful movies so far true grit i have not seen fantastic okay. no country for old men oh ho, ho, ho. oh brother where art thou great movie fargo uh-huh and the shawshank redemption <sighs> these are all gorgeous movies and this man has not won an Oscar for any of them that's there are, criminal there are some other nominations in there that I didn't but those are the highlights for me that is absolutely criminal he, he is has not won for those phenomenal if he doesn't win this year then I, I don't know if he'll ever win because this movie is so gorgeous it is jaw-droppingly gorgeous I was just looking at every inch of the screen as I could as the movie went on um, so we'll get off of that <laughs> I can't stress enough how beautiful this movie is. <laughs> I'll be sure to see it so we can discuss it. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned before, we're talking about the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, who is Canadian, um, but that doesn't even factor into how much I love this man yeah. because his films, uh, I didn't see his first film, which I can't remember the name of, but he's done Prisoners, which we the, mentioned a couple times in this yes, podcast already. Which the year it came out was my favorite movie, which I think was 2014. I need to rewatch that movie. That movie's so good. Then he did Sicario, which I think was 2015. That might have been among my, say, top three of that year. Probably my top movie of that year. And then he did Arrival last year, which was my top movie of that year. This guy is genius. And I'm so looking forward to everything that he's doing. When I heard he was doing this, I was excited and scared because a lot of people didn't feel that Blade Runner needed a sequel. And for those of you that feel that way and have Blade Runner high up on your list and you don't think that it deserves a sequel, please, if you liked Blade Runner, you're going to like this movie. It is a perfect sequel to that film. It follows the aesthetic. It follows the rules. It does the exact same and plays within the same world building that Ridley Scott set up, and it is great. Ryan Gosling is superb as Kay. I'm not going to give anything away because if you're going to take a chance on this movie, I want you to go in knowing as little as possible because that makes the movie even better. The things I'm going to say, Ryan Gosling is great as he pretty much almost always is. That guy wins my heart over and over again. He can play 
almost anything as far as I know. Dave Batista, the wrestler, and most of you know him as Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, is great. He's not in the movie very much, but his scene, gave it away there, is touching. It is really, really well done. Um, that's pretty much all I kind of want to say about Blade Runner 2049 because I don't want to give too much away for those of you that are, are interested in seeing it. Myself included. Um, when you see it, I probably going to want to spend a whole episode talking about it. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'll leave that Blade Runner 2049 is my number two movie of 2017. Uh, before we move off of that, any uh, recommendations on which version to watch for uh, Blade Run- the original Blade Runner? Uh, I, I'm not huge into Blade Runner, um, but from everything I've heard, for those of you that don't know, Blade Runner has a long storied history. There are multiple cuts and versions of the movie because of problems between the director and the studio. But recently they released one that is called Blade Runner, the final cut that Ridley Scott, the writer and director of the movie himself, has said that that is his true vision of the movie. So that's the one I'd recommend. And that's the one I've seen as well. I recently watched the original Blade Runner for the first time, and that was the movie, or the version I had seen. All right, so number two on my list. Uh, We're going to finally get to talk about this movie. You had it earlier on yours. I said it was up high on mine. Number two, Wind River. Woo-hoo! Um... I will get into the synopsis. I need to get this off my chest. This movie is nominated for zero Oscars. <sighs> this movie is nominated for zero Oscars. That is a pure travesty. I was shocked when I read the list. I was reading through it, and I was, yeah, okay, that nomination makes sense, that nomination makes sense, and I got to the bottom of the list, and I thought, yeah, that all sort of made sense. And then it occurred to me that I had not seen the words Wind River one time on that list, and I got angry. Yep. (laughs) This movie is absolutely beautiful. So a synopsis of it, uh, Jeremy Renner is an animal tracker, I believe, in uh, in Wyoming on a a native reserve. Uh, I guess they call it an Indian reserve in the movie. I'm not too sure. Um, But yeah, so he's an animal tracker, and there's uh, a crime that's committed. There's a rape and murder um, that's committed on the reserve. And these sort of things have a very low rate of being solved in this area, both due to limited manpower, uh, just due to a variety of reasons. And uh, Elizabeth Olsen is an FBI agent who's tasked with solving this case, and she enlists the help of Jeremy Renner, this animal tracker, to uh, to find this killer and rapist and bring him to justice. Uh, So as mentioned, this movie is not nominated for anything. Um, Taylor Sheridan uh, is the director of this movie, and it's his directorial debut. He's written a bunch of great movies. <laughs> two, two of my favorites of the last two years. We mentioned Sicario already, yep. um, which he wrote. Hell or High Water, oh. which is such a fun movie. He wrote both of those. He wrote this movie as well. Taylor Sheridan did. Yep. This is his directorial debut. And I gotta say, he fucking nailed it. 100%. He fucking nailed it. Um, he, the writing in this movie is superb. The direction in this movie is superb. He gets great performances all out of all of his actors. And I'm going to repeat this a bunch of times during this discussion. It was nominated for zero Oscars. (laughs) And I don't think I'm quite going to get over that for some time. Um, the editing, the transition alone, I won't spoil anything. And we're not going to get into spoilers. Exactly which one you're talking about. There's one transition in the middle of this movie involving a knock on a door. That transition alone should get the editing Oscar. It is it's incredible. Ugh. As as film nerds, I think we both kind of blew our loads when we saw it. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. It was it was 
pretty incredible and the tension in that scene that oh, follows wow what happens is heartbreaking the Again, way the way and i'm sorry i didn't mean to yeah, cut no you worries, off there, no Sam. the way that taylor sheridan builds tension yes that as an example from his previous film um sicario the border scene the way he builds up the tension in that scene is phenomenal and he starts building the tension in that scene in particular for about half hour and the thing is a lot of these scenes that are tense He's building them up for the entire movie. Yep. Like, you you hear a lot of things about these places and the scenes leading up to it, and that just makes the tension, or the, the conflict that happens at these places, that much more tense. Oh. And I love the way he does that when yes. he writes. And the way he directs. Um, what else was I going to say? Uh, yes, the uh, thematically, this movie... I think the reason why it's so high on my list, and you can maybe say why it's high on your list, what really did pushed it to that next level, really elevated it, was the themes of finding closure. Jeremy Renner has had a tragedy happen in his life, yep. and he's really searching for closure uh, in with this tragedy, and he's unable to find it. Yep. And the way this movie handles uh, his dark past uh, in sort of uh, in tandem with this uh, new crime that he has to solve, the way that he sort of gets closure from... Uh, solving this other crime and helping someone else find justice yep. is uh, really touching and was handled really tastefully, and yeah, I really liked it. Jeremy Renner really stands out. And actually, I don't, I want to say stands out. Um, he's just because uh, some of the other performances are really, really great. Mm -hmm. um, Jeremy Renner is really good in this movie. He plays it really low key and really close to the vest. These are the kind of people that I know. Um, I grew up around these kind of people. Um, and by these kind of people, I mean people like Jeremy Renner. Yes, I grew up around a reserve, um, <laughs> being half First Nations myself. But Jeremy Renner's he's kind of old school. He's an outdoors guy, um, doesn't say a lot, um, and really has his actions speak more than his words. He's a really strong person. Um, his performance in this is just so muted. Pardon the pun, but one might say it's reserved. It's, yes. It's, it's, it is, and it's, it's sadly reserved performances don't get the recognition that they deserve. No. And, and he, if I'm not mistaken, he's not nominated for this movie. Oh. Oh, did, oh, sorry. Did I mention before? This movie has zero Oscar nominations. Yeah, which I agree <laughs> is a complete travesty because, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, after I saw this movie, I couldn't stop talking about yeah, it. Yeah, Manny had seen this movie before I did, and I didn't watch it for about a week after he did. And every single day I heard something about, you gotta watch Wind River, you gotta watch Wind River. And yeah, it, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen is decent. Um, she doesn't really have much to do. Um, I, I won't say she's great, but she's definitely not bad. I think she does well with the material that she's given. The movie isn't about her, I no. think. Even though she is pretty, uh, she's pretty important to the plot, the movie's not about her emotional arc. So I think that could be a reason why you don't see a lot of range from her. Yep. Um, but yeah, she I thought she was good with what she was given. I, I agree 100%. Graham <laughs> Greene is great as the sheriff of this uh, reservation. Um, he's just... You can just see the years of hardship 
and the lack of support he's getting from the government and from white people. You can really feel how resigned he is to the idea of like, oh, look, another rape and murder case I got to solve that's never going to be solved. Yeah. And he just, you can feel sort of the hopelessness coming yes. from him. And it, the weariness just weighs on him and you can see it and mm -hmm. he plays it throughout the film and it's phenomenal. The other person that I want to point out um, is an actor named Gil Birmingham. Um, he plays the daughter, uh, sorry, the father. <laughs> he plays the daughter, which, yes. which makes his performance even better. Yes. Um, he plays the father of the victim. Yes. And he is fantastic. He's not in it a lot. Um, it's not the kind of... He has of, maybe two scenes in it, I think. Yeah, two, yeah. maybe three. Yeah. Um, but they really resonate. Yeah. And they really carry a lot of weight. Um, again, perhaps it... <laughs> touch me more because I am a father um, but I don't think so in, in, in this sense um, I think it was just his performance that really got me uh, right. it's not the kind of performance where I'm wondering why he didn't get nominated I think it's just too small of a role to get a nomination yeah. but it's it, after Renner for me he's the standout of the movie for sure performance wise besides the film itself yeah, and yeah, especially uh, even though they're only in a limited number of scenes together, his scenes with Renner, they play off each other really well. Oh, and so they, they, I wish they were in more scenes together. I understand why they weren't. They, he wasn't really needed for more of the plot, but I really wish he was in the movie more because, yeah, you, you totally nailed it. Um, yeah, Renner's performance, uh, there's not much more we can say about it besides that he's total badass without yeah. without being uh, overly macho like he's not oh. like a, he's not like an action movie star he's not totally macho he's not about just shooting guns and banging chicks or whatever like you he's there's a vulnerability to him in the way that he's so badass yes and he just absolutely nails it and he continues to impress in a lot of these uh more serious roles that he's in i agree i agree and you couldn't i was actually thinking the exact same thing as you said it he 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 plays a complete badass without being macho yeah and yeah I, I can't say enough good things about wind river if you haven't seen this movie you need to watch it immediately yeah honestly a great movie and a pretty important one too i think i agree um uh, yeah I uh, we ready to move on? We are, and I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure we have the same There's number one. Zero percent chance this movie was getting eliminated from my list, and that is Justice League. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> 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 it is not Justice League. You know what it is. You want to say it with me? Sure. It's three three billboards, billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Missouri. This movie. Who, oh. wants, who wants to start with this? Oh, okay. I'll do. A, I'll do a plot synopsis. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you go for it. Okay. In an effort to track down who raped and murdered her daughter, Mildred Hayes, played by Frances McDormand, has has three billboards erected outside her town of Ebbing, Missouri. They accuse the sheriff, Woody Harrelson, of doing nothing to catch the killer. This causes adverse reactions amongst the town, especially one of the sheriff's deputies, Jason Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell. Okay, where Ooh. where do we even start with this movie? Ah. I don't even know. Martin McDonough is the writer and director of this movie. You might know him from uh, Seven Psychopaths, In Bruges, both of which are very good movies oh worth my God, checking out. Oh my so good. And uh, what can you say besides this is a masterclass in just about everything that makes a film great? Uh, well, uh, for, like the, for me, if we're going to talk about Martin McDonough, i got to talk about his writing. His yes. writing of dialogue is phenomenal, and the dialogue in this movie is what drives it. This is, I guess, best described as a dramedy? Yes. I you I can't go as far as comedy, but god 
damn, was I laughing a lot in this movie. Right. Because the dialogue is so sharp and so witty yeah. and so well done. I guess you could say it's a dark comedy, as the last two movies, In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, were. Yes. Um, this movie is incredibly dark. From the plot synopsis, you might think it's a very depressing, uh, horrible movie, but honestly, this movie is hilarious. Uh, Frances McDormand has... To be fair, she has some of the best lines in this movie, but she delivers them with just a, oh. just with a knife's edge. That oh my goodness gracious! She, the looks she gives people as she delivers these lines could pierce armor. Yes, uh, she is cutting and formidable, and just overall incredible. She won the Golden Globe for Best Actress already in a drama. I fully suspect she'll be in the conversation for the Oscar. She is nominated. I wouldn't be surprised at all if she won again. I, I don't see how she loses. I know that probably her stiffest competition is Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. Which made uh, neither of our lists, yeah. shockingly enough. But uh, I'm <laughs> actually surprised it didn't make yours, I won't lie. Huh, yeah. um, it almost did. almost slipped in at number but 10. But I don't... I, I honestly don't see how she doesn't win. Yes. She is... Mesmer, I, I don't want you to see mesmerizing because I wasn't standing there watching. I, I know what a mesmerizing performance looks like. I was just in awe of what she was doing. And uh, it's really impossible to talk about the lines these characters deliver without talking about Martin McDonough. He does give most of his best material to Frances McDormand, which is A-OK because she is a total badass. Yep. But it's remarkable the amount of different ways she's able to tell people to go fuck themselves in this movie. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> it is, it's almost, it's almost too much. It's not too much, but it's almost too much. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> um, moving off of Frances McDormand, I'll go next into Sam Rockwell. Yes, please I've do. I've always been a, a, a fan of Sam Rockwell, and by always I mean when I, my first experience with Sam Rockwell was in The Green Mile. I believe, yeah, mine would have been in Green Mile as well. I actually had forgotten he was in it until now. I'm more familiar with him from Seven Psychopaths. But nice. Yeah. Um, he's just, I don't know what it is about him. I, I can't even properly articulate my thoughts on him, but I fucking love him. And he is fucking awesome <laughs> in this movie. He plays this dimwitted deputy who, in my mind, I have no idea how he got this fucking job in the first place. Yes. I don't know who he blew to get this job. <laughs> but God, Complete and utter moron. He is so dumb. Yeah. So, but he is so fucking awesome. For the record, a lot of Francis McDormand's lines and insults are directed at this character of uh, Jason Dixon, the, the sheriff's deputy. Or... And I'm 100% not going to spoil anything in this mo about this movie, which is a shame because then we could really get into stuff. Oh, we this movie could be... Forget an episode. This movie could be a series. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, Sam Rockwell is so good. His uh, Golden Globe win and his Oscar nomination for this role... Um, is so well-deserved, and I'm really pulling for him to win. Um, I don't want to go into too much. He, in my opinion, probably has the most interesting arc yeah. in this film, him or Woody Harrelson. I I would totally agree with that. I, I, I've scribbled down on my notes here that he has, he's pathetic, he's bigoted, he's violent, he's a mama's boy. I'm actually surprised I came up with so many adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> but he's likable. And yes. in the end of this movie, again, no spoilers, he's likable. And you can't believe, you're like, you how can't believe this guy? how Martin McDonough managed to write a character so despicable 
that you end up really admiring. And yeah. it's it's frankly just insane that yes. he managed to do that. Again, it's just a it's just a <clears throat> testament to the, both the performance and the writing of this character. Yeah. Um moving on to Woody Harrelson. Um God, he's just so lovable. Yeah. His you you when you hear about this movie and, and how this woman's daughter was raped and killed and the sheriff isn't doing anything to solve this, it makes you think, well, Woody Harrelson's going to play this dick of a sheriff. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. He plays this fantastic sheriff who is trying to do the best he can with the resources he has. And they have this great scene together where he explains that to her. And it's great. And, and she he, shuts him down. Yeah. She doesn't care. She yeah. She wants justice for yes, her daughter. And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But Woody Harrelson just you just want to hold him. He's just <laughs> so goddamn lovable. Yeah. I, I I he was nominated for this. I don't have a problem with it. Except that maybe took away Patrick Stewart or Michael Shannon's nomination. Yes. Um but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um but I, I don't I don't have a problem with it because he's powerful and he is a major part of this film. Um, and he plays it perfectly. Uh, I, I, I don't really have much more I want to say about Woody Harrelson because I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, it's really difficult to touch on his performance without touching on some crucial plot points. Um, there was one, uh, there was a thematic moment towards the end of his arc that I really wish I could touch on, but probably can't. Uh, without spoiling anything, oh, so I'll leave I that for another time. About. I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> let's, let's not. We well, we can have a discussion about that once these mics are off, because yes. we're going to end up having an even longer discussion, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so what have we touched on? Mark McDonough uh, er, being fantastic, Sam Rockwell being fantastic, Francis McDormand, uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, it's funny as hell. Oh, it's so funny. Um, thematically, this movie really is, for me, it, it has a lot of moving parts as far as the themes go. It has a lot to say about love. has to say a lot about community. Um, what really struck a chord with me, though, is what uh, the movie says about justice and what it is. Um, at the beginning of this movie, you, again, you have these uh, opposing parts in Francis McDormand and uh, Woody Harrelson as the sheriff. And they're really just going at each other. Frances McDormand wants uh, justice for her daughter, and Woody Harrelson is trying to tell her, hey, lady, there's nothing we can really do. We've exhausted all outlets. And just their ideas about justice and what those mean really evolve through this movie in a really poignant way that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. The The underlying theme of the movie is about getting justice, mm-hmm. and I love how it explores that. And, uh, yeah, it's... It, it really goes places that you don't expect, and it's one of the many reasons why this movie is as good as I believe it to be, and the Oscars believe it to be as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, after I came out of this movie, this is one of the few movies this year, by the way, I came out of the theater, I, I knew that I liked it. I knew that I liked it right away. I didn't know how much I loved it. I thought about this movie for longer than I thought about any other movie after exiting the theater this year. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized what an absolute masterpiece it is. I agree. I agree. It, it's a movie that respects its audience. Like the If you're going into a movie expecting to be spoon-fed lessons about love and justice, this movie doesn't really do that. You really have to dig in to deep into the plot and into the characters to really figure out what this movie really is about. 
and I love movies that make you think, and this movie respect, respects its audience completely. Oh, I agree. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I love movies that make you think and won't... Sp- uh, exactly you said. They're not going to spoon-feed you what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It makes you question yourself. It makes you question the movie. It makes you question life. And those are the kind of movies that I enjoy going to. I don't want you to feed me the answers. I'd like to try and find the answer on my own. For sure. And that, again, we've touched on it a thousand times. It's a testament to the writing of Martin McDonough. And we were talking earlier about Taylor Sheridan being one of the new uh, big names in Hollywood and about Denis Villeneuve uh, being one of the big new names. Uh, Martin McDonough, for my money, is making better movies more consistently than just about anyone in the world right now. Yeah, he's definitely, after you know the last three, well, I don't know if he did anything between Seven Psychopaths and uh, this. There was one other that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't okay. jot down the name. So within Brew, Seven Psychopaths, and this, basically the next time he does a film, I'm there 100%. Yeah, there's 0% chance of me missing his next movie. And uh, a large part of that, I think, is because all of these movies are enjoyable on so many levels. Because there are some deep themes to explore in this movie. There's a lot that it has to say. There's a lot to learn from this movie. But it's also just really funny. Oh, it's it so is funny. such a blast. Like, it, we touched on Frances McDormand's dialogue earlier and her insulting cutting edge. Like, she Just every aspect of this movie is just bravo. I, I There's not a single thing I would improve upon. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So that's our list of the our favorite movies of 2017. My God, we, we went on some tangents. We really, really <laughs> did. Uh, looking at the running time, I can't believe how long we went. Uh, what are we at? We're at uh, just shy of two hours. Yep, that's uh, only about double what we were intending to do. That's I know, okay. <laughs> but for, uh, for those of you that know me, that doesn't come as any surprise whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I can't promise that any of our other episodes won't be this long. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably have to piecemeal it together yeah. <laughs> to listen to the whole thing. But I think this is where we should cut ourselves off because going longer than this makes no sense whatsoever. Of course. So for our first episode, uh, I'm uh, Manny Manuel. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.